The Cyber Menace podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Listen responsibly. G'day everyone and welcome back to the Cyber Minutes podcast. My name is Max and I'm joined by Flynn as always. So let's get right into it. So yeah, something I've seen recently with a client I was working with was they had a massive problem with trying to uh, have multi-factor authentication on everybody. And I thought this case was particularly interesting because they tried to enforce multi-factor authentication with a certain group of people and they actually called the union into it because they were so tech illiterate that they could not use multi-factor authentication. I thought that was interesting. It was the first time I'd seen where someone took action like that because obviously there's always going to be people who are against using it because it's not familiar to them. That was the first time I've seen someone say like, hey, no, I can't do this. This is against my rights, I suppose, in a sense. And it was just, so it was just because they were so tech illiterate that they didn't, they couldn't understand how to use MFA or get it set up. Supposedly tech illiterate or, you know, just refuse to do so. Um, hard to say, but you definitely know they're serious when they're getting a union involved. Mm. I don't know. It brings up an interesting discussion of we're trying to push security so much and uplifting everything to a certain extent, but we also don't want to leave anyone behind in in that same sense. Uh, honestly, my opinion is that MFA is not the most difficult security thing to put input, and it's also not the most difficult thing to understand out of all of the cybersecurity strategies that we can put in place to uplift the security of, uh, of some organization, right? I don't know. I don't think it's that's a totally right move to just outright say, oh, we, we can't do it because we don't understand it, especially not MFA. MFA is so easy once you have it set up properly. It just sends a text to your phone and then text from phone put into the prompt on the computer. Not yeah. that hard, right? I suppose it brings up a bigger problem with tech illiteracy and how it's not necessarily friendly to people uh, for their security. A question I had for you was, how do you think we tackle tech uh, literacy? Because some people, it seems like it's near impossible. I'm sure you've got you know grandparents and stuff like that where it seems impossible. Most of the time, you can work around that because as integrated technology is into our society, you usually can still find certain things. But in the workplace with people who are still working and security is such a big deal, how do you think we get around this? So I might go back into my software engineering days at uni and call back on that a little bit there's always a challenge between complexity and usability and especially usability in how user accessible a certain product or a, a something you create is so i suppose a something we have to try and overcome is putting all these complex uh, security procedures in place and defenses but it's also important to make them as simple as possible for the end user. I think that's probably a, a way to go. Say you have an MFA set up, you don't want the UI to be jarring and terrible and really confusing and slow, especially not slow. That's a that's quite a bad one. Make it really simple. Make it really intuitive, really easy. And make sure, say you're trying to find a solution, test a lot of them and make sure you're picking the one that's the, the right sort of fit for your for your organization. In my opinion, I don't think that MFA is something that's worth going to the union 
after. Yeah. It's not really like the most complex thing out there. But, um, you know, some people, I suppose, are really... Uh, like, this isn't probably isn't a cybersecurity issue at all, really. it's If they can't use MFA, they probably can't really use computers at all. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But they still... So, basically, they did field work and they use iPads. Um, so, they have to access systems in a way. But you'd think that if they could use an iPad, they could use MFA. You would think that. You would think so. So, it, I don't know, maybe it's an issue with them being stubborn. It it really is. I don't know. Maybe we need to change the education piece. Maybe you need to take away these people to the side and say, like, you know, we understand that it's difficult, but educate them on the risks involved with yep. not having MFA and how MFA stops a lot of different attacks. Yeah. Uh, but it that was one of those cases because we spoke in the past about how MFA really isn't that big of an issue, and in today's day and age, you should have everyone on MFA. Yeah. But, you know, cases like this still happen where people are so refuse to do it so much that they're getting a union involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a, it's a tricky situation. I think it's, at that specific organization, it's probably more of a, there's probably a much more deep problem and not just the security element. Like but a cultural issue. Sort yeah, of probably a cultural issue. Something that's not so surface level because if you're not putting in prompt, like if you're not able to, set up your phone number to get a text or set up an app that's going to give you a code and then just literally put that in the iPad, then it's, you know, that, that's not the most hard thing to do. Anyone can figure that out, really. Yeah, I wonder if maybe there's... Usually we think about using dongles and hardware tokens as a more difficult form of MFA, yeah. but if this person's only using an iPad in the field, maybe they just have a dongle, mm. plug it into the iPad, use biometric authentication or something. Yeah. Yeah, that that's another solution as well. But I suck those. They forget that it's going to be all yeah, hell. <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Now, I think for that specific example, it's probably more of a problem around the culture of that organization rather than the the actual solution being put in place. But it does raise actually quite an interesting discussion of usability versus complexity in cybersecurity as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something. I found very funny recently. I was recently developing some training for an organization about uh, business continuity. Mm. And I was just kind of getting a couple different case studies together. And the Equifax breach, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yep. one of the biggest breaches in history. I yep. think it's something like 147 million customer copies, which Equifax is a uh, credit company. Yep. So social security numbers, you know, all the big stuff. I think it was 40% of Americans are affected at the time. Jesus. So it's crazy. And what I found very funny in it was there is a very big blatant mistake. Uh, I, I won't mention what the channel's name was, but they had someone on there that was supposed to be a director and a advisory to a lot of different boards on uh, crisis management, stuff like that. Yeah. And they said, and I quote, a big thing to avoid situations like this is developing a ransomware policies to avoid the distributed denial of service. Uh, God. <laughs> And Equifax was six or seven years ago. Yeah. And I really, and this video, not crazy popular, but still had like 1.3 thousand views or something like that. Yeah. I thought it was very eye-opening to how far we've come. Yeah. Because I feel like if a video with that many views came out today, it would be absolutely slandered. That would be mayhem. It'd yeah. Be mayhem. They would, people would be burned at the stake for making, uh, making simple confusions like that. Yeah. And, 
this was not a like a low profile person either. Mm. This was a pretty high profile person making this claim. Yeah. And also they said this was something that they use on all of their boards. Uh, for anyone who doesn't understand that, uh, starters, ransomware and DDoS are two completely separate things. Yeah. They're not, they're, nothing's really similar between them. Ransomware is they encrypt your files. Uh, you don't have access to it. You typically would run a backup to fix it. Yeah. That's something that would be in a ransomware playbook. You would yeah. have like immutable backups to yeah. solve the problem. Uh, and then you might have also communications within there and yeah, it links into disaster recovery and yeah. it's it's a huge it's its own huge whereas DDoS is quite literally your system's out because somebody's performing a distributed denial of service, which basically they're sending too much traffic to the system. Yeah. So it goes down completely. Yeah. Um, which which that can be fixed, right? By just scaling your app solution. So if you just allow for a uh, a kick up in how many people can connect to your services that can kind of fix that yeah so that'd be that would be two separate playbooks two completely different scenarios yeah uh second of all a ransomware policy doesn't even make sense no a policy if you're talking about a hierarchy of documentation mm. policies are typically the one up the top where it sets the expectation for the organization mm -hmm. a policy should be something that anyone in the organization hey child should be able to pick up a policy and understand yeah, uh, it should say stuff like people that use our emails must follow the email policy, and then you reference the email policy yeah, well, and stuff like that. Say like there's a password policy that's mentioned, and then in the password policy it says your password must rotate every ninety days. Yeah, it's very high level. Yeah. Um, and a playbook is much lower level. Where a playbook should be something that the IT team or the security team picks up, and this is oh, this is what we got to go through in an incident. Yeah. Completely separate things and a ransomware policy I've never heard of because it doesn't sound like it makes any sense because no. it's uh, you typically have something like an information security policy that's more overarching that trickles down into uh, procedures and playbooks. Yeah. And look, if they understood the terms loosely enough, they could have been trying to say when you need to put a ransomware, I don't know, a ransomware strategy in place when your systems go down then maybe that's what she meant from distributed denial of service like your service goes down but even then that doesn't really make sense because that's that's not how ransomware works so it's a good example yeah of how how different things are today with cybersecurity. if we posted something like and said something like that you know we would you know there'd be heaps of people saying oh you know burn at the stake burn at the stake <laughs> yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't look too good and i think that's the same for anyone going on the media to talk about cybersecurity these days if you're you know if there's any shred of not so truth in what you're talking about then people are going to notice it and people are going to call you up for it yeah and i just checked then as well it, equifax was not a ransomware or a distributed oh my <laughs> equifax was just a run-of-the-mill data breach they exfiltrated their data and they went out a quote that they said just before this because you know i was kind of looking through it for a case study, see if I could get any quotes of it. And they I, they said the ransomware thing. I had to double back and I watched the whole video again because I was like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, basically, another quote they said is, everybody has been breached. They just haven't stolen your data yet. <laughs> Which I kind of get what they're trying to say. But I would say everybody's 
if you were going to say that, not, well, the stars, not everyone has been breached. No, it's just a fallacy. No. Um, I get what they're trying to say is everyone could be breached. Yeah. But it would more be everyone could be breached. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. Not that, that they've makes, stolen your data. That makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah. Not everyone has been breached, but they just haven't stolen your data. Well, <laughs> how does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. It, I just saw that and I was like, oh my God. I had to double back and I was like, oh. And crazy, zero comments, nobody. And I kind of did a bit of research to on this person. I looked them up on Reddit and stuff like that. No indication that like anybody had an issue with that. Um, and so weird. this is this isn't just a random person. This is a advisory to boards on crisis management. Jesus, crazy stuff. Yeah, that's very rough. I don't know. That person gets our um our certified expert of the week. Yes. <laughs> It'll be a new section, the Fexpert of the Week. Fexpert of the Week. <laughs> so, related to crisis management, crisis management is something that, if you get it right, it can actually be really beneficial to your company. I'll use the Equifax one as an example again. Uh, Equifax originally did it really really bad so they didn't disclose the breach until over a month after it happened mm. basically the biggest breach in history at the time yeah it's still one of them uh but afterwards they started doing putting certain things in place to make it a bit better so they had actually a really good crisis website where you could go and look at it um so they still handled it overall fairly poorly yeah but it's interesting seeing how crisis management and data breaches uh, affect a company because Equifax took a big plummet in stock at the time. Yep. And now, six years later, they're higher than they've ever been. Yep. Um, I've heard some people make the argument of cyber incidents don't even matter. Because would you look like the stock didn't change? Yep. Um, that's a scary thought, really. Because it's going to mean in the future, you know, once people become, I suppose, melancholy to the fact of... Desensitized. Desensitized to cyber breaches, which I see... Uh, with certain people nowadays to kind of say like, well, my data's everywhere, what does it matter? Yeah. Um, that's, that's, listening, that's the wrong approach, Yeah, by the way. It, it It's, I would, I would say a big reason for that is your attack surface. Yeah. So, for example, if you're in the Medibank breach, that's pretty bad. Yeah. But if you're on the Medibank breach and then you're also in the Optus breach and then you're also in three other big breaches, the likelihood that you're going to have fraud happen to you increases. It's much greater. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a scary thought. I think that what we need to do as people with some sort of a voice in the community a little bit is, um, is I suppose, even remind people that even though this company is back to normal, right, I'll put quotes up, normal, you know, they've still done things that were not good in the past and they've that's led to the exfiltration of customers' data. So I, I think it sort of comes down to us informing people, the, our listeners, and in, informing people that they know in their community and their circles as well, and making sure to spread information about which companies seem to have good practices and which ones don't. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's people like us, really, that the, the losing your data really affects. And these companies, you know, year, two years down the line, it may not matter to them, but it still does matter to us. Yeah. And something else is I've heard echoed before is people say when there's a data breach, occasionally a family relative actually said this. Mm. Um, they said 
if they were in the Medibank breach. And they're yeah. like, and I was like, oh, that's not good. You're in the Medibank breach. And they're like, oh, well, maybe because I'm with Medibank, that's one of the best places to be now because they're probably taking it more seriously. I don't agree with that. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe they are taking it more seriously, but something we see all the time with cyber is once you've been compromised, you become a target. People know that you can be compromised, especially with companies that pay ransomwares. Um, once people know... Uh, ransomware gangs know that you pay a ransomware. Well, they're going to go for you again. Exactly. They know they can they, you money. Pay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, stay vigilant, I would say. Yeah. And just another little fun note. We're going to be attending a few conferences just sort of in this year, in the next few months and into the year. So if you see us, uh, feel free to come by and say hi and we might um, do some live filming of questions at some of the conferences. You never know. Or you might actually hear us. I'm not sure how many of you have seen us. But. Yeah, <laughs> you may hear us talking. And if you think that, we think, oh, that's familiar. Feel free to feel free to come up and have a chat. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that the Cyber Minutes podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Have a cybersecurity question? Send an email to cyberminutespodcast at gmail.com as we'd love to answer it. Stay cyber safe.